Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Hi, guys. Welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. We have a wonderful doctor coming on for today. He's going to wrap up our ocular disease portion of our podcast. So we're really excited to have him on. But before that, let's talk about our weekly insight, which is Father's Day. We just celebrated Father's Day this past weekend. And I like to say that we celebrate dads every day, but this is an extra special day to really make a special day for both my husband and my my dad uh, also, and my father-in-law too. So it's a wonderful day. I'm lucky that I am surrounded by lots of wonderful fathers. I got to cook for my dad on Sunday morning, which was super fun because he is a pest, if I'm being honest. And <laughs> he is he's a wonderful cook. So it's always hard. So I made him delicious hollow bread French toast with eggs and bacon. And he was so happy. And then in the evening, I cooked for uh, my husband's family, uh, his father, uh, and we just had a wonderful little barbecue and it was so nice. And Daisy, my daughter, who's three, was so excited that it was Father's Day all day. She like, this is the first year that she really understood it. And she woke up and she ran into John's arms and was like, happy Father's Day. And all she wanted to do was be with John all day. So it was a really, really special day. Uh, how was your Father's Day with Paul? Oh, we had a really wonderful Father's Day weekend. It was really nice because we did Father's Day with his family. So for his father and some of his extended family on Saturday, we did a big family barbecue, which was so nice. And then we really reserved Sunday to just have as a family day, which Paul really, really loved. Um, Paul has become kind of like a homebody. He's always been actually a homebody, but he really loves having days where it's just the three of us. Um, Those are usually his favorite days. So we just spent all day together, the three of us, and really had a chance to really enjoy a lot of the beautiful nature that we have on Long Island. And Teddy's at such a fun age where it's really, we can take him out and see how it's really different than last year where you can see him interacting with everything. We went for a nice walk around the duck pond and he was so excited to see the animals. And then after dinner at night, we went to the beach for sunset and it was so beautiful. And it was just so fun to see Teddy, like even interact with the water. Like last summer, we took him to the beach, of course, and tried to dip his toes in the water, but he really wasn't that interested. And he was having so much fun splashing around and loving it. So it was a really nice day. I love that. You know, the simplest days of just being home together with the fam- with family is really the best. I should take a page out of your book and do Father's Day on an alternate day with my dad and John's father so that we can have Father's Day just for John, because especially this time of the year, we don't get John for with him being so busy. We don't get him for a full day. So I'm going to take that as a note for next year to, to do Dr. L. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It's nice. We do that for a lot of holidays. All right, so now we are so excited to be joined by Dr. Nate Lighthizer. He is an Associate Professor, Associate Dean of Clinical Care, Director of Continuing Education, and Chief of Specialty Care Clinics at the Oklahoma College of Optometry at Northeastern State University. Also, he is a founding member and currently serves as president of the Intrepid Eye Society, which is a group of emerging thought leaders in optometry. He was named a member of PCON 250, a list of the top 250 optometrists in the country who practice progressively, provide innovative patient care, conduct optometric research, or excel in academia, and share what they have learned with other optometrists to advance the profession. Dr. Lighthizer lectures nationally on numerous topics, most notably ophthalmic procedures, electrodiagnostics, and ocular disease. 
Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lighthizer. We are so excited to have you here with us this morning to record. And I would love to learn a little bit more about you and how you became interested in optometry and specifically the specialty of glaucoma. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Mikey. My pleasure to be here. Uh, I have been interested in medicine and in eye care for a long time. My best friend growing up, his dad was an optometrist, and that really got me inspired to go into the eye care field. Always uh, eyes interested me. And really, since I was in high school, being an optometrist is what I wanted to do. I was born and raised in North Dakota. I went to Pacific University out in Forest Grove, Oregon is where I did my schooling, my four years of optometry school. And then I got down to Oklahoma because that's where I did my residency. And I did my residency, which is a uh, an extra year of, of postgraduate specialty training. I did that down in Oklahoma at the Oklahoma College of Optometry here in Tahlequah. And I did a family practice residency, which means uh, it was an emphasis in a lot of different things, but my main emphasis was in ocular disease or eye disease, uh, specifically laser procedures, glaucoma, things like that. And was very fortunate to be trained by a number of wonderful doctors that advanced uh, their profession and had uh, experience in disease from front of the eye to the back, specifically in glaucoma. So that's a little bit about my experience and my journey down here to Oklahoma. I love that journey. Today's topic is glaucoma. So let's just start with the basics. Can you describe to our listeners what glaucoma is? How do you know you have it? Are there signs and symptoms? Do you know you have it? Because we often hear, right, patients walking in, they're like, if you ask them about family history, we're like, do they have glaucoma? And they're like, glaucoma, cataracts. I don't remember what family history it is. So let's just go over the basics of glaucoma. Yeah, well, glaucoma is a condition that ultimately affects the the big nerve in the back of the eye. We call it the optic nerve, but it's the big cable that carries all of the visual information from the back of our eye all the way through the brain where we process things in our brain. And there's, there's good and bad things about glaucoma. The good thing about glaucoma is that you don't often know that you have glaucoma. The bad thing about glaucoma is you don't often know that you have glaucoma, so it can progress to a moderate to advanced state without causing any visual symptoms. You know, the things like, that's why patients remember cataracts and macular degeneration, because that often affects their vision early on. Glaucoma doesn't. The biggest thing that is causing glaucoma, the main thing that we can modify is the eye pressure. And it's similar to a blood pressure. I describe it to patients like your blood pressure, which can go up and down. You can have high blood pressure without having any symptoms until you have a potential stroke or heart attack or things like that. Very similar with the eyes is your eye pressure can be elevated. Normal eye pressure is somewhere between approximately 10 and 20. Somebody could have an eye pressure of 24, 26, 28, even into the 30s, and they have no idea that they've got the eye pressure, but yet that elevated eye pressure is causing damage to that big nerve in the back of the eye. What that does is it tends to affect the peripheral vision or the side vision first, and it can cause over the years and decades this tunnel vision where the vision gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And that can really only be detected by going to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist for an eye exam for special testing. So again, good news symptoms that you can retain good, usable reading vision until usually very late in the disease. The problem is, is we want to detect this as early as possible to be able to prevent you from getting there. 
Right, exactly. I think the big takeaway is that early detection because you're often asymptomatic in the early stages of glaucoma. But with those advanced cases where you're really starting to lose that peripheral vision, it can really impact how someone functions throughout the day where if you have decreased peripheral vision, it's going to be hard to walk around and mobilize properly. Driving is going to be very, very difficult. So it really can have a huge impact on how someone lives and gets through their day. So once you have someone in your chair and you've diagnosed them with glaucoma and you have this conversation with them, you explain the disease process, what's the next step? In terms of your treatment process, what does that look like? Do you have a certain first step you always go to? And, and what is that progression like? Are you more of a medication doctor or a procedure doctor? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, and usually diagnosis takes multiple visits. I, I don't often pull the trigger on treatment on the first uh, time I see a patient, just like, again, blood pressure can fluctuate up and down. I'm going to want multiple eye pressure readings, and I'm going to want to see probably two, three, four visits in most cases before we have that conversation and ultimately decide, you know what, we're going to, we're going to decide to treat this. The eye pressure is too high. The side vision test, other tests that we do indicate treatment. When we go to treatment, really the literature and the studies in 2021 and over the last five to 10 years indicate we've got two great first line options, things we can go to first when treating glaucoma. And that would be eye drops, or we have a laser called a selective laser trabeculoplasty or an SLT. Traditionally, laser has been uh, reserved for after we've used and maximized the medications, meaning a patient is on their drop number one. And we start with one drop and hopefully that controls things uh, over time. Uh, but over time, we may have to go to drop number two and drop number three. The problem with going to multiple drops, as we all know, is I would struggle with this and patients can struggle with multiple eye drops as well. Remembering to instill the eye drops, there can be potential side effects or adverse events from the eye drops. So that's really over the last 10 years, a laser called SLT has been shown to be equivalent to eye drops for first line therapy. And anytime we talk to patients, there can always be a scare factor with a laser in my eyes. Are you kidding me? It seems a lot easier to just use an eye drop. But the benefits of a laser is it's a one-time treatment. We do it right in the office. There's no like anesthesia, like general anesthesia. It's just eye drops to numb the eye. And it's a procedure that takes about five to 10 minutes. And it's been shown to lower the eye pressure equivalent to eye drops. It's a one-time procedure and it usually lasts a number of years, two, two years, three years, four years, and it's repeatable if you need it down the road. So I've had patients that it's kept them off eye drops for two, three, four, five years, or even longer. So when we go to first line treatment or the first treatment in glaucoma, it's often eye drops or a laser in 2021. I like that we have more options, right? Because it used to just be eye drops or bust, right? It was just sort of that. And you hit on a really important topic that compliance is so difficult. You know, it's easy if it's just one drop at nighttime. Most patients can comply with that, right? You tell them, put it by your toothbrush, you brush your teeth, you put your eye drops in. But when you start adding multiple drops and multiple times of the day, that compliance really goes down. And it's really important to control that eye pressure because it naturally fluctuates throughout the day. And the goal is to keep it as steady as possible to really reduce that damage to that optic nerve head. Now, would you, can you, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but like what percentage of your patients would you say, are you recommending to do the SLT for versus just staying on drops? When we have the conversation of the patient that you have glaucoma, the testing seems to indicate that and be my recommendation that we start treatment at this point. I bring up the option of drops or laser. Here's the benefits 
and the potential downsides of both or side effects of both. And we make a decision together with the patient. In 2021, and I'm fortunate where I practice in Oklahoma, uh, we can do this SLT because optometrists can't do this in every state at this point. It's about seven or eight states where they can. But I have that conversation with every patient. And it's currently about 40% choose the SLT and 60% choose the drops. Now, those percentages, I think, are going to be much higher than many other doctors because of what I do and where I practice there. But it's currently about 40, 60. More patients choose drops, but it's certainly trending in that direction of more and more SLT because of the technology. Younger patients often choose that as well because they're like, I'm active, I'm busy, you know, I'm playing sports, I'm hiking, I'm and I don't have time to remember a drop in the morning, a drop in the evening, maybe during the day would be the worst. So they choose that SLT, that laser, and it keeps them off of drops for a period of years. Right. I think that's really important to note that quality of life piece, because that's where, you know, it sounds very simple. Oh, I got diagnosed with an eye disease and I need an eye drop. Right. But when you take into account potential side effects and long-term side effects, because you're going to have glaucoma for the rest of your life, you're going to need treatment for the rest of your life. That can really add up. Also cost can definitely be a factor as well. So that's where the advent of technology and laser can really be life-changing for patients. Now, all these treatment options that we're talking about, whether that be an eye medication in a drop form or a laser or a surgery for glaucoma, this isn't really curing glaucoma, which I think is important to note. Really, you know, from our standpoint as eye doctors, we're just trying to prevent any further progression of glaucoma. So essentially whatever stage you're in when you get diagnosed, these treatments essentially try to lower your eye pressure to help protect the optic nerve so there's not any further damage that occurs. So once you've diagnosed your patients and they're on a treatment plan with you, what does care look like moving forward? How frequently do you see your patients and what kind of testing can they expect to go through with you when you're trying to watch them and prevent any progression? And I think that comment that you made about, you know, there is no cure is very important. I tell patients that, and I remind them that on multiple visits, especially early in the course of their glaucoma diagnosis, again, go back to that high blood pressure. This is not a, you're going to take this pill for a month and you're cured and we're all good. This is ongoing therapy. There is no cure, whether it's the drops or whether it's the laser. So I remind them that when we diagnose and especially in those first few visits, and I let them know, you and I are going to become friends. Uh, we're, I'm going to see you two or three or four times a year, depending on the stage of your glaucoma. If you have mild early glaucoma, we're probably going to see you twice a year. If that progresses, hopefully it won't. But if it does, we'll see you three or four times a year. Every visit, we're going to check your eye pressure. Again, the main thing that we can adjust the biggest risk factor for damage to that big nerve in the back of the eye is if the eye pressure is elevated. And remember, and what's so important for patients to remember is you won't know if your eye pressure is outside the range I want. If I want it at 16 or 18, you're not going to know if it's 22 or 24 or 26. That's why I need you to come back for every visit when we schedule that. And that's why patients often struggle with compliance. I'm doing great. My eyes feel great. I've got great vision. And oh, by the way, this drop is kind of irritating me a little bit. I don't see any benefit. So I'm going to stop this drop and take it not like I should. Again, we don't want to do that. We want to remember that that drop has a purpose to lower their eye pressure. When I see you two to four times a year, every visitor, like I said, we're going to check your eye pressure. We're going to do a side vision test probably on one of those visits at least where you put your chin in a chin rest and lights flash in your side vision, in your peripheral vision. Because again, you won't be able to detect 
if there's damage in that very side vision until it's too late. We need this specialized instrument to be able to do that. We'll do various other tests as well to make sure your glaucoma is stable. I always tell them, you know, glaucoma is a long road. And at the end of this road, there is a cliff of vision loss. Now, fortunately, hopefully we got this early and you've got a long, long ways towards the end of that road. And hopefully, likely we'll never get there. I want to put your car in neutral. I want to just hold it right there. We probably can't get it in reverse and we can't uh, reverse any damage that has already been done. That's why we want to diagnose early. But if we can go as slow as possible down that road or even in neutral, that's where we're going to hold it and we'll never get to that cliff of vision loss. That's how I explain it to patients. I think that's really important to explain it that way because it's they have to be committed to their eye care. You know, they really do because there is the structural damage that we're concerned about, but there's also that functional piece to their vision, right? That because our brain and our body is so amazing, they don't know they have that field loss. I have a very particular patient that I've been seeing for many, many years that he actually came to me. He was like, I got something in my right eye and then I was rubbing it and I realized I couldn't see out of my left eye. And he came to me with severe end-stage glaucoma in his left eye. Uh, he was essentially for all intents and purposes, completely blind in that eye. And that's when the first time that he realized he couldn't see out of that left eye, he had no idea that that was what was causing it. Uh, and it was, I was like, I can't make that better, sir. Like he thought he just needed glasses. He thought like he had no idea what was happening. And it, it's been a long, hard road because I'm trying to preserve that right eye as much as possible to prevent it from getting to that end stage. So it's so important to get those yearly eye exams to really look at those functional tests of vision to make sure that there's no underground loss that we have. This episode is brought to you by Luminous. For over 50 years, Luminous has developed innovative gold standard devices for eye care, like the first SLT laser, the first argon laser photocoagulator, and the revolutionary dual path SLT and YAG laser. Luminous, the inventor of intense pulse light, or IPL, is proud to announce the first and only IPL system to receive FDA approval for management of dry eye disease and to launch OptiLite, a bright solution for dry eyes. OptiLite uses Luminous's patented optimal pulse technology to allow consistent, precise, and controlled treatment. If your patients suffer from dry, gritty, tired eyes, and dry eye disease due to meibomian gland dysfunction that is impacting their quality of life and their vision, OptiLite puts the power for treating dry eye disease in the palm of your hand. OptiLite breaks the dry vicious cycle of inflammation and delivers improvement in tear breakup time and other clinical signs of dry eye disease. To learn how you can elevate dry eye management with OptiLite, visit Luminous.com slash OptiLite. Now, glaucoma is your forte. What is coming down the pipeline for patients with glaucoma? Do you see any new technology coming out? What, what do you see in the future for them? We, we've got a lot of things coming down the pipeline. There's a tremendous amount of research in all modalities uh, of eye care, whether it's vision therapy, whether it's dry eye, or in this case, glaucoma. As we go into the next few years, five, 10 years and beyond, drops will not only get better, they'll have better uh, efficacious or they'll, they'll work better. They'll have better side effect profiles. Um, and we may even have to instill them less going forward. Surgery is going to get better. 10 years ago, we didn't have something called MIGS, which is minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. If you had to go to glaucoma surgery in the past, it was usually reserved 
for like late disease, severe disease. There'd been a lot of damage because that surgery was pretty invasive. It was a pretty big surgery. Well, now it's right in the name, minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. That wasn't around 10 years ago. And now we have MIGS procedures, which are very small devices that take a matter of five minutes to do a procedure in the operating room. So that technology has evolved. Those MIGS procedures are only going to get better. They're going to work better. They're going to have better side effect profiles. So we're going to have more MIGS procedures. The lasers are probably going to get better as well. There are companies working on, instead of me manually have to click the button a hundred times, shot, 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 and go all the way around. There are companies working to automate the procedure where you hit a button and those hundred shots take less than 10 seconds to do now. So there's going to be a lot of technology from the drop realm to laser to surgery. They're going to only benefit patients going forward. I think that's so exciting to hear that all of that is on the horizon because I think something that's a little unique with glaucoma versus other eye diseases we've talked about on previous episodes like macular degeneration, for example, those other diseases have like some risk factors in your daily life that you can kind of modify, whether it be like UV light exposure or dietary changes. But with glaucoma, there's really no risk factors like that where you can just try to modify your lifestyle. You really do have to rely on a treatment plan, whether that be a medication, surgery, or laser. So I think it's really exciting that there's so many options now and better options on the horizon for our patients. And Thank you so much for coming on this morning. We learned so much about glaucoma with you. Can you share with our listeners how they can find you if they have any additional questions or if they want to see you? Absolutely. I am an associate professor and the associate dean, the director of our continuing education at the Oklahoma College of Optometry in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. My email address is L-I-G-H-T-H-I-Z at N-S-U-O-K.edu. Uh, feel free to email me anytime. I love talking to patients. I love talking to doctors uh, and just uh, pushing patient care forward so we can better take care of our patients. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020, and follow us on Instagram. For additional content, check out our practice, Twin Forks Optometry, on both Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.